0: Luke chapter 6. Can we turn there if we can, please? We are taking our time on Sundays going through the book of Luke. And, of course, Luke was written by a guy named Luke, and he was a doctor. He was a medical professional, and he looks like he may have been financed by a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus means a man who loved God, and he loved the Lord. And Luke followed around one of the greatest Christians to ever live outside uh, uh, outside of of, of course, our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, and that's the Apostle Paul. But he had been beaten a lot, he had been hurt, he had, been, he had a problem with his eyes, and uh, a man followed him around and helped him and ministered to his need when he was incarcerated. He brought him food, he took care of him, and his name was Luke. He was a Greek, uh, had a Greek name, and uh, he was probably Grecian in his, in his background certainly educated, and wrote two of the books of our Bible, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And you look at those two books, they're the longest books of our New Testament, but very much detailed. And he didn't see, he probably did not spend time with Jesus, but he definitely researched and wanted to find out what happened, when it happened, and uh, when he got it all together, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he gave us the book of Luke and the book of Acts by God's Holy Spirit. I'm glad we have it. A lot of great things in the book of Luke. Matter of fact, 60% of its contents are unique to him. And uh, there, are, there are three synoptic books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're kind of a similar. The book of John is unique to itself. Much of the book of John is just in the last few days of Jesus' life before he went to heaven, beginning in chapter 13, all the way through uh, 19, goes to the cross, and then a little bit of time after he goes back to after he is resurrected. It's recorded in John. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very common, but very unique, is the book of Luke. And I'm so grateful for it, and I've really enjoyed reading it. We find in the book of Luke is where Jesus, uh, we have the story of of uh, John the Baptist and his mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, Jesus' birth, uh, his uh, announcement and all the things that took place. He has now fasted, uh, went to get baptized, he fasted for 40 days and then began in his own hometown of Nazareth and began to reveal who he was by the Holy Ghost. He was rejected and actually they tried to kill him right off the bat. But it wasn't time for him to die. He would die three and a half years later at the age of about 33. But his earthly ministry started at 30. And now he is making his way mostly up in Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel. He is doing his initial ministry. But everybody from Israel, from the southern part of Judea and uh, from the Tyre and Sidon, people are now coming and listening to him because not only was he preaching, But he was being used of God to give special miracles. And the miracles did not save anyone, but they did give credence to what he would say. The Bible says the Jews required a sign. They needed a miracle. And uh, the miracle gave a setup for Jesus to speak. And everyone who gets saved, no one gets saved because of a miracle. They get saved because they hear the word of God, and the spirit of God brings conviction of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Every once in a while, I ask someone when you got saved, well, I was almost killed in the car. It was a miracle. I got, well, that's not when you got saved, okay? You know, well, I, one day I, I, I got some kind of a fuzzy-wuzzy feeling. It was a utopian thing. That's not your salvation. Salvation comes when we hear God's word and we receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we respond to accept the gift of eternal life. It's faith plus nothing, minus nothing. But the miracles allowed people to listen, especially in the Jewish realm, because they had lots of crackpot messiahs who told them that they were were the messiah sent from God because every... Man and woman in the Jewish world were waiting for the Messiah to come. And now, even today, Jews are waiting for the Messiah. They've rejected Jesus. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 12, he came into his own, but his own, they didn't accept him. So, he, but as many as received him, even if you, if you don't, if you, you have a chance to accept or reject Jesus, and he said, and people rejected him, but as many as would receive him, they could be the sons of God by believing on the name of Jesus. And I'm so glad that Christianity is not about a church, it's not about a pastor, it's not about leaders or a staff or a program or a property, it's about a person and that's Jesus Christ. It's miserable to try to live the Christian life without the Christ of Christianity. You don't wanna do that, you wanna make sure you know him. And I'm very thankful to be able to talk about him today when we go into Luke chapter 6, if you'll look just real quickly, we find that he's being criticized. Now he's being followed, not by just people who need his help, but by religious leaders who are infuriated with him. Now they have one main beef with him. There's two main beefs. One is that he does not keep their exaggerated rules of the Sabbath. Number two, he is indicating to them that he is God. And they're getting fired up. They are not ready to accept him as the Messiah. And they have made, they have taken things to a legalistic society. And the Sabbath, one of the ten commandments that God gave us was to remember one day to keep it holy. And for all the people before the cross of Jesus Christ and before his resurrection, it was the seventh, it was the it was the seventh day, the Sabbath, Saturday or the Sabbath day. Now, after Jesus is resurrected, God's people begin meeting on the first day of the week. We find that, matter of fact, Jesus appeared to each of his disciples on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, Let everyone lay by in store throughout the week as God has prospered them. And then on the first day of the week, bring their offering to the Lord. So God tells us, I want you to show up at church and I want you to bring an offering to God. God does not need our money. He doesn't need your money. If you don't want to give, I don't want to give, he's going to be fine. He was fine before we ever showed up. And giving of our money to the Lord is not God's way of raising funds. It's God's way of raising us, (laughs) raising good Christians. You'll never be a good Christian until you learn to give and honor the Lord in in your possessions. It's a very important, simple thing but give God a penny out of every dime. Give Him a dime out of every dollar. Whatever God gives you, do the math. It takes two things to honestly tie to the Lord. And that is arithmetic and obedience. Do the math and give it to the Lord. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. You're not hurting God as much as you're hurting you. But the Bible says, if he that honors me... I will honor them. And he tells us to honor the Lord in your substance and what he's given you. And with the first fruits of all your increase, whatever he gives to you more, you honor him that way. But uh, we find that the Lord Jesus, they didn't, argue, they didn't get onto Jesus about his giving because he was a giver. But they did get onto him about his Sabbath day activities. Now, remember, the Lord Jesus gave rules throughout the Bible about the Sabbath day. He did want his people to stop and not labor. But they had made up extra rules. If you go to Israel today and you get on an elevator on the Sabbath day, you, uh, you will stop at every at every floor. You can't just you can't push a button and say, I'm gonna go to the seventh floor. No, it starts if you're on the first floor, you stop at the second, third, and fourth. And the reason you do that is because someone has felt like pushing an elevator button is labor on the Sabbath day. So it takes a lot longer to get to your room on the Sabbath day in Israel. And really, that's pushing a button is not a, a, a day of labor, but, but Jesus is definitely being scrutinized. The first way was whenever his, um, he and his disciples were traveling from one place to another place, and they walked through a field where there was some wheat or barley. And uh, it was the rule according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 19 and 20. Every farmer that was Jewish knew that you were not supposed to collect the, the, the corners of your field. You should not collect, leave that full so that strangers that are walking through your country or the poor or the widows or the fatherless could come glean from that. How many remember the story of Ruth and Naomi in the Bible? Well, they, they had parts of it where they could, they, they, they said, don't, don't, don't harvest the corners, leave the corners for the poor and the needy and the traveler that comes to your area, because God wants us to learn to be generous and thoughtful of those who don't have it. Well, Jesus and his disciples, are, they're walking through there, and uh, it was Sunday. It was, the, or it was not Sunday, it was a Sabbath day, and... Uh, they were hungry, and they went to the field, and they saw several things, and they took them, and they, and they, and they took away the... Um, it would be like, I'm going to use this as kind of a... Uh, it, it would be kind of like taking the shells off, like a sunflower seed. They would take the, the, take the seed off and eat the, the seed and eat the, eat the grain. And so they did that. They rubbed their hands together, and they, of course, got rid of all the shells, and then they ate some of the grain. Well, some of the religious rite, they saw him. And they said, you've broken the Sabbath. He said, look, he said, God made the man for the Sabbath, not the Sabbath for man. Or Sabbath for man, vice versa on that. He said, he said, and by the way, he called himself the Lord of the Sabbath, and that really got him fired up. He said, you guys have taken all these extra rules and put a burden on people. God's law is not a burden. You know, if you ever hear someone say, it's just so hard to be a Christian. No, it's not. You know what's hard? Living like an idiot. That's hard. It's so hard to be pure. No, you know what's really hard? Living like a pervert. And living with the guilt and the challenges of that. No, hard is, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. But the word of God and the ways of God are not grievous. They're good for us. There's this. You know, living for the Lord is a soft pillow and a long night. You live for the Lord, you're gonna find God's gonna bring comfort and encouragement to you. There's a way of the way of God is perfect and it's peaceful and it's right. Sin gets complicated. But they had added all these rules and now they're coming at him real hard. And that was on the that was on the first Sabbath. On the second Sabbath, they were watching him again. Let's just look at it real quickly so you can see the context, if you will, please. And um, look at verse number six. And it came to pass on another Sabbath that he entered into a synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. That means he had his left hand was normal, but his right hand was shriveled up. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find accusation against him. And he knew their thoughts and said to the man with the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Aren't you something? Know that that Jesus knew what was in their mind. You know what? God knows what's in your mind. Your hair might be thick, but it's not thick enough for God not to see through it. No, he knows exactly what's going on inside of you. You might know what I say, and I might know what you say, but God knows what I think, and he knows what you think. And he knew what was going on, and there was a man in that synagogue on that Sabbath day, And he had a a healthy left arm, but his right arm was all shriveled up. And uh, they were just brought him in there to see what was going to happen to Jesus. Isn't it sad? They were more concerned about a a petty little rule than they were about a hurtful and and pain of a broken body. But they were waiting. So Jesus said, Sturge, why don't you stand up there? And he asked them a question. See the question he asked them? Would you look at verse number nine? Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Would you read the question with me, everybody? Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? He said, you tell me something. Is it it good on the Sabbath day to do good or do bad? That was his question. And looking around about them all, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand, and he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. It's interesting. Sometimes Jesus would touch somebody. Sometimes he would put his hand on them or sometimes he would touch their eyes or touch their ears to make them hear, their eyes to make them see. Here he just tells the man, that that shriveled arm you have there, why don't you just stretch it out? Jesus didn't do any work. He just spoke to him and the man stretched his arm out. It became just as, as healthy as his other arm. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to have been there when that happened. That's pretty neat, isn't it? How many of you would have been happy to see someone that was crippled walking around like this, and all of a sudden now they can just do like this? But that wasn't the response of of the religious uh, right here. Let's look what happened here. Would you please look at verse um, verse number 11? And they were filled with what? Man, they were furious. And they commune one to another what they might do to Jesus. Because he did this on the Sabbath day, and because he discerned and upset their little apple cart, now they're ready to kill him, which is murder. (laughs) They're willing to break the law because of something that happened. And you know the craziness of our society. I mean, this week we have uh, the woman of the year being presented, and she's a man. We're, We're celebrating perversion. Something's wrong. The world's running around with their hair on fire, and they've got all kinds of challenging things going on. Right is wrong, and wrong is right. And here we find this same thing. These people should be rejoicing. He walks out, and, man, I'm so glad Joe got his arm fixed. Instead, they're furious with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why there's such animosity toward God and Jesus I've said this before, but we don't. No one gets mad, and most of us have taken God's name in vain. You've gotten mad, and you've said, oh, my, and said God's name. Or you have, you've gotten mad and said, Jesus Christ. I, I've done that, and I grieve that I have to admit that, but I have done that in my past. I don't want to ever do that. And the Bible says that I'm responsible every time I want to open my mouth and say his name in vain. You know, people get mad, they do Christian cuss words, like Jimmy and E. Cricket. What is that? It's a substitution for Jesus Christ. You know, we say, oh gosh, all it is is might just say God's name in vain. You know, no one, I don't know, I've not heard anybody get mad and say, oh, Buddha, and damn his name. i never heard someone get really fired up and say, oh, Mohammed. When we want to damn a, a name of a God, it's the God of the Bible. And it's his son. Even atheists. Delight in damning the God of the Bible. I wonder why. Because in our our human nature, we are against God. And these folks were against Christ. They had nothing, he did nothing but good, and they sought nothing but bad about him. They, they, They couldn't stand it. It's amazing how our world, the farther we get away from God, the more crazy we become insane and madness. I like it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad we have the King James version of the Bible. But I'm also glad he used the word madness. You know, they just get mad. Have you ever noticed how angry everybody seems to be now? You cut them off and all of a sudden they want to drive up and shake their hand and do sign language and everything else. I mean, just, just in, a, in a store, if you just, you know, you're just oblivious to what goes on. Hey, man, you know, what? you get mad. Go to a ball game. Every, every, doesn't matter what the official calls, foul, no foul, it, it, everybody's still mad. Every coach challenges every call. It doesn't matter what it is. Still that, that idiot uh, official. And they, they, they pride themselves on how much a, a, a particular coach can cuss out an official. Something's wrong here. But I think we see here, we see it's just, it's just as old as human nature is. Why did Cain kill, kill Abel? In part because he was mad. He was angry. Well, if you have that problem, don't blame your ancestry. Just take responsibility. Say, God, I don't want to be this way. This is not the the kind of wife I want to be, the mother I want to be, the son I want to be, the, the dad I want to be, the husband I want to be. I need to deal with this. And let God help us with that. Look, if you would please, at another passage. Let's continue. Verse number 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Now, many of the gospels speak about Jesus' prayer life, but none any more than the book of Luke. And once again, Matthew, he's the king. Mark, he's a servant. Luke, he is man. And John, he's God. And as a man, certainly, he was 100% God and 100% man. But as a man, Luke points out that he spent a lot of time with his heavenly father. If you think Jesus spent time with his Heavenly Father, and that's actually accentuated here, how much more do you think you and I need to spend time with our Heavenly Father? Well, he prayed all night in prayer. And there are different seasons of of his life where he did that. Sometimes he rose up a great while before its day. Sometimes he prayed into the night. And prayer is a problem. It's something we all need. But uh, and prayer, prayerlessness is not just a shame, it's a sin. Because prayer can do anything God can do, and God can do anything, but many of us are willing to go to great exploits to do anything but pray. I'm announcing prayer meetings this week. I know how it goes. If I were to announce a picnic and a barbecue, hundreds of people show up. You announce a prayer meeting, and you might be three or four people looking at each other. It's just the way it is. I'm not trying to be unkind. I think when Jesus prayed, the Bible says, when Jesus ceased from praying, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Not all of them, one of them. And oftentimes it's just a minority of people interested in prayer, but we find that Jesus prayed. And he prayed all night. And we find that the next verse will tell us one of the reasons why he prayed, because he was going to separate his, his apostles from the disciples. I don't think he was praying on which ones to pick. I think he was God, so he already knew that. But I think he was praying that they would be willing to do what he asked them to do. They would be willing to do that. I wonder if God is praying that I would be willing and you would be willing to do what God wants you to do. The Lord Jesus prayed all night before, and and he prayed. And we're talking a little bit about serving the Lord with eternity in view. If there's anything I know about these 12 men that we're going to learn about this morning is they had to see something eternal to do what they did. Except for Judas Iscariot, who was the traitor, who betrayed Jesus, who died in suicide. He killed himself. The other 11, 10 of them, died as a martyr. The last one, John, was boiled in oil tortured and and exiled on an island by himself. Do you think they would do that if they thought that the resurrection was a hoax? Do you think they would do that if they didn't believe what they had heard and seen? No, these men were men of faith, and it caused them to go and to greater exploits for the Lord and do greater things and trust the Lord. As we think about the servants of Christ this morning and serving the Lord with eternity of view, I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, the role of prayer. The role of prayer. Jesus prayed because on the next day he would gather his 12 disciples. Some of them had already been, and actually there were more disciples than just there. He had many disciples. Matter of fact, in his ministry, he sent out 70 disciples at one time. So there were a lot of disciplined followers of the Lord, but he would separate his disciples from his apostles. Now in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of, of, of uh, Luke and the book of Acts, all include all 12 of them. John does not include all of them. But in those four books, the names of each of the disciples are there. But I want to encourage you, and one of the reasons I'm encouraging us to have this, uh, this uh, servants conference, and and I'm pleading with you to pray is because God is wanting more laborers. God is wanting more. I want you to be here on that Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night. You now, Pastor, you're just trying to count heads? I don't even know how many people come. I don't care. I would like for you to be here because God can do something special in your hearts if you're here. And you'll encourage other people who come from around the country if you're here. You can't encourage people if you're not here. It's your presence and your participation that really brings encouragement to others. But I also, am asking us to pray because Jesus prayed before he would select his apostles from his disciples. So we find prayer. Number two, we find the process. Now, the word apostle means a sent messenger, someone who is sent. That's why the, 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 um, Paul, he would say, I am a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth of, uh, uh, of God. I lie not. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in, in, in truth and verity, faith and verity. What he says, I'm an apostle. I've been sent. See, I don't think probably any of the apostles became pastors long term. They went to different places. They were sent ones. They're like our modern-day missionaries, in a way. They're, they, they're, they can serve the Lord in the local church, but they're sent to go make an impact in a different location. And these are the disciples that Thomas went to India. Uh, we find that, that uh, different ones. Now, James may be the exception to that. He was the first to die, and he was the brother of the, of the last to die, John. Let's look at this. First of all, I want you to prayers element. I want you to know the process and once again, Jesus said, okay, these, these 12 are going to be my apostles. And, and I want them to stay with me, and I'm, I'm going to be with them because I'm going to send them forth to preach and to go to other places. I want you to know, secondly, I want you to, thirdly, I want you to know the personalities of the men. Now, we don't know a lot about all of them, but here's what we do know. How many were there? There were 12. And in all of the times that are mentioned, there are three main leaders that they have. And, and, and Peter was the first, and Philip was the second. It looks like he's divided all the 12 into three main groups. And each, there's a leader in each of the three main groups, and he labels them together for some reason. He'll say Peter is with him, James is with him, Matthew is with Thomas, uh, Judas is who is not the Iscariot, it was Judas with the Iscariot. Each of them have different, and they have very different personalities. Uh, Of the 12, 11 of them are Galileans. That means they're country bumpkins from the north part. Only one is a Judean, and that's Judas Iscariot, who ultimately betrays the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the treasurer of the group. So a couple things about that. Let's just look at our Bibles and see what the Bible says here, if you would please, at verse number 13. And when it was day, after his night of prayer, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose 12, whom also he named what? Once again, disciples is a disciplined follower of Jesus. I hope all of us could raise our hand and say, Pastor, I'm not the best Christian, but I want to be a disciplined follower of Jesus. I I want everyone to know that I am in the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to keep on going for the Lord. I'm not all I ought to be, and I'm not using everything I should do, and I'm not as faithful as I should be, but I am a disciplined follower of Jesus. That's my pursuit. How many would say that is what you're trying to do? Would you raise your hand? I think most of you are that way. And if you're not, I hope you could raise your hand next time I ask that question. I'm going to ask it right now. I'm just joking. I was just, we'll ask it later. But all of us ought to say, Lord, I want to please, I want to follow you. That's what my goal is to be. Well, from the disciples, he chose the apostles. Here they are. Here's their names. Let's look, if we can, please, at verse number 14. Simon, who also is named what? Peter. Simon, there's two Simons. It's kind of interesting. They have two Simons. Um, there's two Jameses, and there's two Judases. Uh, they, there's, there's a, there's, there, of all the 12, there are, uh, th- there are three of them that have the same names or six of them have the same names. So it's kind of interesting there. there's several siblings. There's at least two sets of siblings, Andrew and Peter and James and John. And then we think possibly there's two men who had the same dad, but Alphaeus may be a different name. So maybe, maybe there's another brother in the, in the group, there's some siblings there, and there's some that have the similar name. It's kind of interesting. With that in mind, let's look, if we can, please, at verse number Simon. Simon is the one who, uh, in whose name God says He's going to call him Peter. Another name for that is Cephas. Sometimes you'll see Peter is related to Cephas. It's the Aramaic name of Peter. And, and uh, if, when you go to Egypt, we have a friend of mine there who oversees several churches, and his name is Botros. And in, in, in Arabic, Botros is Peter. But Peter, Cephas... And Jesus said, Simon, your name is going to be Peter because you're going to be a foundational ap- appointment to me. I'm go- Jesus is the chief cornerstone, but Peter's going to be there. He's the one who preaches at Pentecost. He's the one who goes and gets Cornelius, uh, a Gentile believer, to come to the Lord. And I've got to hurry. I had no idea I'm uh, this slow in talking. Are you guys are, I'm here sleeping. You don't even know what time it is. You're just, you've lost your hour last week and you're trying to make up for it right now. We see their personalities. We see Peter, and we see Andrew, his brother. We see James and John and Philip and Bartholomew. Another name for Bartholomew is Nathaniel. They're the same men. Uh, it seems to be a, maybe a first and last name. Matthew and Thomas, they're together. James, the son of Alphaeus, he's the leader of the next group, and Simon, who's uh, called Zelotes. And Simon is a, a zealot. He's someone who's who really is for the Jewish people and against the Roman government. And uh, Matthew, he's a tax collector. And he's he's usually with Thomas. What is Thomas known for? Doubting. I think if you met Matthew, you'd find someone very agrarious, very kind, very easy to get to know. And he doesn't really care what you think about him. He's been a publican his whole life. People say negative things about him. It doesn't bother him. I imagine you said something about Tim Th- Thomas, he'd he'd be he'd be he'd be all he'd be down like Eeyore, you know. I can't believe this, this is terrible. You know what? It's interesting to me as you look at these disciples. I want you to notice, first of all, that, that they, they were called by the Lord. And they were called to be with Jesus. Number two, and many that's where the Bible says, many are called, but few are chosen. All of us are called to be disciples. Some are chosen to go to the ends of the earth, or to go do special jobs for God. We find that in the, in the church of A- in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, there were five main preachers that, that led that church, and God says, send forth from me Paul or Saul and Barnabas. These guys were sent out to go. And God's going to tell them to do that. But you know it's interesting to me to see the diversity? They're very different. And this ought to bring appreciation to your heart and life. You know, aren't you glad God didn't make us all exactly the same? When I look at, the, when I look at our church family, I stood last week and looked at the, um, or yesterday, looked at our deacons. We're just a very unique group of men. Some are young, some are old. Some are machinists. Some of them, they, 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 they sit in offices and they crunch numbers. But God has made them different. Some are creative, some are very very just mundane. They they can do the minutiae. Some that would drive them crazy in that way. Same with with the work of the Lord. God has made us different, that he would make us one unit serving him. And you know, some of these guys didn't get along well with each other. John and Peter. Peter got all over, uh, John got all over Peter's nerves. Matter of fact, when he was getting his face ripped off at the Sea of Galilee, he said, after he, Jesus said, lovest thou me, then feed my sheep, and three times. And he "So <sighs> what are you going to do about that guy right there? He said, if I want to have him live till I come back, what is that to thee, Peter? You follow me. Quit looking around and criticizing everybody else. Accept your responsibility and be the best you you can be. I wonder how much we could get done if we wouldn't go around and com- have competitive spirits. We wouldn't have criticism for everybody. We'd have compliments and say, what can I do to make a good thing better? These guys, the Bible said, turned the world upside down with their doctrine. And people took knowledge of them. They had been with each other. No, that they had been with Jesus. It's a beautiful testimony. God's servants come together when someone prays. God's servants come together when we listen to the Spirit of God and to the Lord Jesus in particular. When we cooperate with each other with our diversities, our differences, and we love each other. Jesus told Peter when he was smarting off one day, He said, Peter, when you're converted, you'll strengthen your brethren. Right now you're a headache. Right now you try to, you try to have you have a critic, criticism for everything, Peter. When you grow up and when you get really captivated by me, you'll stop being so stupid critical. You're going to strengthen your brothers and not hurt them. These people got it together in this situation. Then lastly, I see that the purpose was that they would be with Jesus so he would send them forth to get the gospel to the world. Every once in a while, I have someone who will say, Pastor, all you talk about is soul winning. But I think That is the main purpose God put us on this planet is so someone else could hear about Jesus. And I'm supposed to do it personally and you're supposed to do it personally. And then we ought to do what we can do together so other people around the world can hear the gospel.